welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. So that's where the interest in the competition really started, and our focus has always been on rewarding young people for their interests rather than punishing them for those interests. We're back. This is part two of my conversation with Simon Engerer, founder of the Cicero Group here in Hong Kong. If you haven't listened to part one, you should go do that before listening to this episode as it really is a continuation of that discussion. In part two, we talk about the competition that Simon and his team host each year called From Player to Page and continue our discussion of using video games to teach children English and writing. Let's talk a little bit about From Player to Page. Right. So, yes, I got to experience the the ceremony part of this with the uh, the awards for the for the finalists and I and I read some of the papers and then of course I um interviewed some of the finalists for a, a podcast experience um yes. with them which was just an absolute joy. So uh-huh. so talk to us a little bit about from player to page and how that kind of came about and how that's you know just growing every year. Mm. Well before I even get into that your involvement was a real highlight for the students as well. Because oh, uh, genuinely, when <laughs> when they have the chance to speak to someone about the things yeah. that they love, I mean, it means the world to them. So it was yeah. uh, it was a really important thing for them too. So thank you. Um, so from player to page, there are many writing competitions, many educational competitions in in Hong Kong. A lot of them are connected to uh, to government in some way. But there are also speech festivals where students are encouraged to, um, you know, work on their, like their English and their Putonghua. And it's, um, it's a great thing like, that, that there are so many avenues and, and ways for kids to, um, to work on their language skills outside of school. That being said, there was nothing that allowed them to include that passion and interest in video games in any kind of English writing format, certainly not in a way that was really um, sort of rewarding them for for those interests. And given that we just come through a pandemic, or in fact, when we launched the competition, we were going into a pandemic. We had this, the, the idea for this before because we did feel that um, students deserved to be rewarded um, and recognized for what they were doing. And then when the pandemic came through um, and students were spending so much more time at home, there was almost like a a fire lit under the the teachers and the parents to kind of find some way for students to apply what they were doing at home into something more productive. So that's where the interest in the competition really started. And our focus has always been on rewarding young people for their interests rather than punishing them for those interests. And as as someone who played video games as a kid, and I'm sure you're the same, Eric, I did video games distracted me. They did, but I'll admit there really weren't video games when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I missed that. I um I came uh-huh. into that so late that uh you know I mean arcade games um, sure 
you know, that was, you know, Pac-Man and, and stuff was where I started because that right. was, uh, I was already, I don't know, 20, I think, when Pac-Man came out. So, uh, um, right, right. Yes, I, I missed that youth thing of, uh, of video mm-hmm. games. Um, although my parents yeah. probably wouldn't have let me play them if they had existed. Well, this is, that was this the culture the back thing. then. Yes. I, um, so I was lucky enough to have, um, so had, had it just been down to my mum and dad, I certainly wouldn't have been playing video games either. But I had an uncle who was, um, very much into, uh, into his video games. And, um, that meant that I, I was like a lot permitted to be able to sort of dabble in video games and, um, yeah, I remember, I remember the experience of playing Star Fox on the, uh, the Nintendo 64 when that came out and how much of an upgrade that was from the SNES version of, um, of Star Fox and the way that the, the narrator in the, in the prologue introduces the, the battle that's about to happen in the Lilat system. And I can just remember, I could remember the words. I could remember the language. And, um, and I walked into, to school and I would apply those words. I'd use them in pieces of creative writing that I was doing at school. And teachers then would ask me, where did you, where did you hear this? Where did you learn this? Yeah. And I'd say, oh, playing this game. And, um, and then six years ago, I had a student say a similar thing to me after they played Clash of Clans. Because <laughs> I asked them, where did you pick up this word? I go, yeah. oh, playing Clash of Clans. So. So I always knew that there was some value there and I wanted a way to sort of recognize that, um, in a visible way that, that schools could actually see and that, that English departments and faculty could actually see. And that's really where the from player to page sort of competition really came into being. It's because we wanted to, to show parents and teachers that the passion that these young people have in video games um, it isn't all bad and that there are ways to turn anything that may appear as a negative into a positive if you give them the right incentive. I'm going to jump in here with an additional note about the from player to page competition. Simon was humble about the impact, so I want to share that they have had over a thousand students submit papers in the last two years, and I've personally witnessed the impact they are having. The winners are selected by faculty from the University of Lancaster who provide individualized feedback on the papers and winners get to participate in live writing workshops hosted by the university. Good for you. I, I love, I love this whole thing. It's just, it's so befitting also hmm. kind of the world we live in, right? The reality is these kids are going to play, right? They're going right. to play. And if you can tap into it and um, and get them to see that there's also more to the game maybe than they, they realized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really get them thinking about it. And, and again, the conversations I had with some of these, these students and it was, you know, all over the map in terms of what games, I mean, from Minecraft and Roblox to, you know, Halo and, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was all kinds of different genres. Euro- of- Euro Truck Simulator is the one that stands yeah. out to me from yeah, last year. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. Yeah. But they, they had really interesting thoughts on these games and were able to mm-hmm. articulate why the game was fun or what they would do to improve the game. If they mm. were going to write a level, if they were going to introduce a character, who that would be and, and why. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought this was very, very fascinating and a, 
a wonderful example of the creativity these kids have and that they do learn from these games. They pay attention to what they're doing. Um, I actually saw something interesting in a, in a TED talk the other day. It's a TED talk from a few years ago. Um, mm. but the, the speaker put up this graphic that was this huge table, you know, and he was like, you know, I mean, it was an eye chart. You couldn't possibly read it. It was, it was so small, but, um, right. he said, can you imagine trying to memorize this? And, you know, and everybody's like, Oh, absolutely not. Right. He said, but you know what? You know, there's 10 year old kids who could quote, virtually anything from that entire chart if you asked them. He said, because that chart is Pokemon. Uh-huh. Right? These kids learn all of these combinations of, you know, characteristics of each of the progression of these these characters, and they learn it simply because they're interested, right? You if you ask them to memorize the periodic table, you know, it's agony. But you ask them to memorize something a hundred times more complex (laughs) in this game, and they're all over it. You know, at 10, 12 years old, they can articulate amazing amount of detail and, uh, and why, right? Why this Mm. combination of things works. And, you know, you put these guys together against these guys and, um, well, imagine it's so interesting that you speak about the the sort of elements in the periodic table because to go back to a game like subnautica subnautica provides you with the the elemental uh, number um as you're collecting resources so if you're picking up nickel or lead or if you're picking up titanium or copper or gold or, or silver so weirdly enough if you find a way so when students are using the resources, if you go into the game and you you put lockers in a sort of base and on the front of those lockers, you put the symbol for gold yep. or the symbol for silver. And then you create a, a sort of quick game where you say, right, I want I want you to build an advanced wiring kit, an ion battery and uh, a, a hunting knife. Go. And. They then have to, they can see what they need to make it, but they have to go to the locker to be able to get the material out. I tell you, that is a way to teach young kids the periodic table. That is a way that works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and even games like Minecraft, right? I mean, people don't think about this, but all of the different materials uh, Mm -hmm. that are introduced there and, you know, yes, you can build circuits and switches and, uh, mechanical devices, right? You have to put things together and assemble them in certain ways that, yes, that teach you without making it obviously a an attempt to drive something into your brain that you don't care about. Kids learn all kinds of stuff playing games like Minecraft. Yeah. Yep. You're you're absolutely right. And yeah. that that game's popularity is down to exactly what you've been saying, which is discovery, and it is. It's all about discovery. The world is there. Go and explore. Yeah, but that's why that game will never, uh, actually, never is too big a prediction, but like, I think it will continue to be in the, in the zeitgeist for many years to come. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. so. All right. So how about the school's reception to what you're doing? So these courses and right, trying to get Mm -hmm. these 
you know, get schools to adopt them, get teachers to encourage their students to do them as extracurricular, um, yeah. or hopefully even start to embed some of this stuff directly into the curriculum. How's that mm-hmm. going? So that is a long-term project, Eric. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, the idea of doing things as an ECA is, um, is to show that there's an interest because students can choose to join these these classes they're not mandatory students sign up for them in the same way that they'd sign up for after school tap dance classes or after school judo so it's it's about like seeing where the interest is but when there is interest then schools become a bit more receptive to the idea of bringing it inside and they like to see how it's done so this is something what i mean i love this about educators it's that the, the curiosity runs upstream in that Every level, some, there's a curiosity around what's going on and there is a real desire to know more about it. So going in and, and explaining to teachers why it, it's not as simple as just bringing in a game on a Nintendo Switch and just giving it to, to a class of kids yeah. that if you're going to, if you're going to do something inside a classroom, you need those classroom management skills and you need that awareness of the game at such a fundamental level that you will be able to address any issues any errors um, any crashes that you can return students to the right place at the right time so that they don't miss cutscenes or they don't yeah. miss um they don't miss certain like discovery elements that you want them to experience in order to report or write on them um so they re- the level of understanding of the game and the course so the actual learning aims of the course or the lesser names runs really deep. And what teachers sort of, there is a change in the reception from teachers once they see that level of detail and that it it isn't something that's as simple as just set it in, uh, put it on and then just go and play that there is a lot of consideration going into it. Um, no, sorry, uh, sorry, just a, a quick question there. Do you teach the teachers to teach the class? the course or does your staff do the course uh we our instructors deliver the uh the courses right now because we just are the most familiar um and the the experience hinges on the instructor's level of familiarity because anyone who goes into any type of course even if you're just on a conventional english language course if you don't trust that the person leading the class knows what they're doing then it undermines the experience because you no longer see it as something that's going to get you from point a to point b you see it as a kind of wander in the fields until you arrive at some sort of destination um so structure is really important the the teachers themselves yes we we do want eventually for teachers in the school to take on the role of the instructor and that's part of our long-term project in something we called learn to game. So the idea being that um, we want to teach the teachers to game again. And uh, and once they come back into that world of gaming to to find more of a kind of commonality with uh, with the classes and the students in those classes. Um, but yeah, overall, I think teachers are just unaware. And it doesn't, it, it's no surprise because there's, teachers are expected to do a million and one things. Right. 
and their workloads are already about as unreasonable as you could get. Right. Somehow they have to see this as helping them, not adding to their workload, right? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's exactly it. And it's, um, right. when, when you have a lot of new, so we've, we've had a large turnover in teachers in recent years. That's, that's a real loss for, for the school system here. Mm. Um, um, but it does offer some opportunities because younger teachers who are moving in, they are, generationally closer to the young people that they're working with. Yeah. And there, there is a little bit more common ground that they can establish. And, um, and they don't see video games as a threat in the same way that perhaps some of the uh, more traditional teachers do. Um, but that being said, it, it's in no way trying to cast, um, traditional, um, or, or more established teachers are somehow fuddy duddies who can't can't get on board with this or don't want to get on board with this it really does come down to practical considerations like workload like timetables um and schools are working to certain expectations here um if they're going to uh well if, if they're direct subsidy schools then their funding is contingent on performance and they need to know that um, that performance is going to be benefited by things like this. So any kind of change that you want to bring into, into the learning landscape takes time. It does take time. There was obviously a scramble during COVID to get everyone online and doing things on Zoom and on Teams yeah. and Google Classroom. And, um, and that, that put an immense amount of pressure on the teachers in a really, in a way that was incredibly disproportionate to the actual benefits that were being reaped from um, from those online learning um, uh, sessions. Yeah. So, so, by the way, uh, sorry I, to, to cut you off. I just I do want to comment. No, not at all. My AI tool did just prompt me that you know we're we're getting towards the end of our scheduled time. Oh here. God, yeah, I've yeah, just yeah. seen it as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears> so, <throat> um, so I want to make sure that we we have an opportunity to kind of wrap up because I do want to ask you, right, what's sure. next? Right. Is yep. there something big coming? Is there, are there new courses you're developing or mm. another kind of market angle on this? Mm. What's the future look like? Um, so in the near future, um, we have the from player to page award day in 2023, which we're very excited about. And, um, Me too. we, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be great, Eric. And, we have we've just sent off the list of finalists to um to Lancaster University so they will be sending us back the winners in 2 weeks time so we're we're happy about that um by december we're participating in the one of the educational expos that happens in hong kong uh, called the learning and teaching expo okay and um Sorry, are you forward... also participating in edtech month that's in october we're not... Yeah, we're not participating in EdTech Month, but we are keen to kind of go by and take a look at what's happening there. Um, yeah, please and... do. I'm going to be helping out with that event as oh, well. Brilliant. So, um, and officially launching this podcast. Oh, fantastic. Through that format. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I mean, a podcast like this is really useful as well because there are people who teachers want to learn from teachers. Teachers want to see yeah. what kind of ideas are being explored out there. So it's really cool. Thank you. Um, that's the idea. Share what, <laughs> what we're doing that's cool. Yes. Exactly. Um, 
but then moving forward so um beyond this year uh, uh what we're really hoping for is um to start the dialogue um on the more um wholesale implementation of this kind of learning approach within um within schools and that would mean speaking to speaking to different developers showing them what we've been able to do thus far finding those developers who would be keen to to have their games included in some sort of bespoke english language curriculum that might be able to run um in hong kong and hong kong especially because in a in a city that's got uh, it has the benefit of three distinct languages existing in tandem with one another here the the possibility of one of those international languages like english falling off um and um and disappearing in terms of its uh, role in the city is a really sad one and i think one that um is to the detriment of the people here i speak obviously with bias because english is my first language <laughs> my but um, my only language I, really yes. right <laughs> so so yes it's the it's the idea that if we if we talk to more people um perhaps approach the edb um and show them that this is something that could uh, could really be of value to start working together to to put this and sorry you threw out another the acronym school. there edb oh yes the um the education uh department bureau so that's okay. the uh yeah that that would be the government arm that oversees the um uh, the educational needs here but yes that's um that's the type of thing we want to do in the future. And then it's like a boss level, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect analogy. Yes, yes, it is like the boss level. Um, yes. and hopefully we can make friends with the boss. Yes. I hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. You definitely yeah. got to conquer that one. All right. Well, Simon, I really look forward to, well, the event coming up with the, um, for player to page awards. Um, and participating again, um, talking with the finalists, doing a podcast session with them. And then, yep. um, of course, watching what you do from here and staying in touch. Maybe down the road, we'll have you back on the show and you can update us on your, your progress there and on um, what new uh, things, new games you've discovered that have a, a real great uh, application uh, in the classroom. So thank you so much for the, the work you're doing and I wish you all the best with it. Thanks a lot, Eric. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. All right. This brings us to the conclusion of part two of my conversation with Simon Engerer. It's been a fascinating look at how video games can be used to engage and teach students. As Simon said, the passion that these young people have in video games isn't all bad. And there are ways to turn anything that may appear as a negative into a positive if you give them the right incentive. I want to acknowledge that I included some audio from the Celeste game trailer in this episode. A link to the trailer can be found in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have more awesome guests lined up and amazing stories of innovation and education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron.
thanks for listening, and thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.